Today, in Daniel chapter 12, we are confronted with a question that is paramount and of central importance to everybody in this room. Uh, And more than that, I want to dare to say that I think this question is central and essential to every person full stop. Every person you know, every person on your Facebook newsfeed, every person in our city uh, needs to have an answer to this question, needs to have the right answer to this question, actually. If you answer yes to this question, then actually you're going to be okay in this thing called life. You know, whatever comes your way, you're going to be okay, actually. You're going to be able to have your head held high and, and walk through and be okay. If you have to answer no to this question, then I, I don't mean to overstate it, but you're, you're not actually going to be able to do that, I believe. You're not actually going to be okay. This is a decisive question for you and everyone you know. And the question is this, have you as an individual got what it takes to endure serious hardship? Have you, uh, never mind the people next to you, but have you got what it takes to endure serious hardship? Because make no bones about it, I don't want to kind of start as a prophet of doom, um, but, but hardship will hit you. It will. It will hit each of you. And I'm not talking about inconvenience or frustrating things. You know, the car parking space wasn't there. I'm talking with a soberness here about the two, three, or four things that will happen in your life where it's serious hardship. And uh, some of you don't need me to, to, to come over here from Southside and tell you that that's a reality. Some of you know that that's a reality. And some of you perhaps haven't just experienced that. Some of you, it might even be closer to home, and you're even uncomfortable as I start to talk about this, because this is right now for you. One of the two, three, four hardest things that you will face, you're facing today. Some of you, in a way, brilliantly, will really believe that this isn't true, because you don't know what I'm talking about yet. You've not had that. And praise God, that's wonderful. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad. I celebrate that. But I need to tell you, however old you are, whatever your background, no one gets a pass on this. Serious hardship will hit you. It just will. And therefore, the question this morning is not, will hardship hit me? Because it will. And it's not, what can I do to avoid serious hardship hitting me because there's not really anything you can do in the end. The question is, have you got what it takes to endure, to walk through, to keep going and have your head high when it knocks on your door? That's what we're looking at this morning. Now, I wonder as I say that, whether you instinctively feel that you have what it takes to endure or whether you instinctively feel that you don't. And what would that even look like? You know, maybe what it is that you need to, to walk through suffering is you need to be like a, a, an emotional Bear grills. okay? You just need to be tough and just a survivor and just someone who, you know, you're in the desert, who cares? I love deserts. And you just walk through it because you're a legend and you're just tough, right? And, and if that's what you need to be, then I think that leaves an awful lot of us very vulnerable because I don't know about you, I'm more, in and of myself, I'm more of like a a wilter. 
in the desert. Like if it gets hot enough, I, sh- I struggle under pressure. Maybe you're like me. And therefore, if I've got to be what you might call like a, a psychological Tyson Fury, I don't know if there's any boxing fans in the room, but his recent heavyweight championship fight, he was knocked down in round 12. And it was like the bell almost went, everyone, it, it was almost over. And then suddenly from the deck, he starts to get up and his eyes are rolling and his fists are like this. But he can just come back from anything because he's Tyson Fury and he's tough. And so he gets knocked down, he gets up again. He gets knocked down, he gets up again. Maybe you have to be like that. But I'm not in and of myself like that. Maybe it's not that you need to be intrinsically, instinctively tough. Maybe, and this sounds a little bit cynical, but I think our consumeristic, materialistic culture preaches this to us all the time. Maybe you just need to have, to endure crisis, money. Right? Let me explain what I mean. You just need to have enough money. If you can save enough money and put it away when, when it's raining, uh, when it's sunny, then when it's raining, you're going to have enough and money will save you in the end. And if you've got the right insurance policies to protect you when a crisis comes unexpectedly, then you're going to be fine. What is it? If, if, if you save money today, money will save you tomorrow. Is that true? Now, look, I, if you're one of the people the privileged few people in history and worldwide who can save some of your income, you want to be thankful to God for that. That's wise. I'm not knocking that. But is money, is cash going to be enough to see you through when crisis comes in your life? Because if that was true, come with me on the logic, if there was a link between perseverance under hardship and wealth, then we would expect to see worldwide that the people in the world who are toughest under duress and pressure and suffering are Western wealthy, well-off people. Is that what we see? (laughs) I don't think that's what we see. I think never has there been a society broadly that's more inoculated from, from hardship than ours, and yet we are the least equipped out of almost any culture historically or across the world today at dealing with this stuff. So I don't think wealth's going to save you. If there was a link between wealth and ability to endure, then we would expect to see that the flimsiest, weakest under pressure, most flaky giving up type of people would be the people in the world with least. Is that what we see? I don't think I, in my comfortable life, (laughs) have a lot to teach the third world mum bringing up her kids in a village about, oh, this is how you endure hardship. I don't think there's a link between wealth. Your cash isn't going to save you in the end. Do you know that? So what will? What will give you the ability to endure serious hardship? And Daniel chapter 12 tells us. And it tells us gloriously that there's just one thing you need. And beautifully, that it's freely available this very morning to anybody, regardless of your religious background, your performance, right now, for the rest of your life, for free. And this is what Daniel 12 says, it's hope. Hope. You do not need to be tough. You do not need to be rich. But to endure when hardship knocks at your door, which it will, you need hope. It was Martin Luther King who I think you'd agree, faced a pretty fierce battle in his day, who said this, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. 
How do you walk through the sorts of things Martin Luther King Jr. was having to walk through? You need an unlosable, infinite hope. That's what you need. Essentially, what he's saying and what Daniel chapter 12 teaches us is when hardship hits you, that's not the whole story, hope will hold you. When hardship hits you, hope, it's hope that will hold you. And that, I think, is what Daniel 12 is all about. Should we have a look? Yeah? Daniel chapter 12. Uh, Daniel Uh, When we reach this chapter, as I said, it's kind of the end of his life. He's an old man now. He's aging. His back is sore, okay? His hands are wrinkly, okay? He's tired. He's, He's lived a life of hardship, enduring under incredible pressure, right? And now, I think he's still going for it, but he's, I think it's fair to say, the guy's gonna be tired. The guy's gonna be weary. He's nearing the end of his days, And uh, what happens for Daniel at this moment is what happens to to anyone with character, actually. When they near the end of their life, it seems to be that there's this feeling in him where he starts to think about the future, but not just his future. I don't know if you've ever been in this place. He starts to think about the next generations. How will, what will it be like after I'm gone? How will those coming up behind me cope? I'm I'm a parent, I'm a youth worker. I think that quite a bit. How will they cope in, the, in the, the culture that's coming for them? And Daniel's in that place. He's thinking, when I'm gone, what about those after me? The people of God coming down the line. What's in the future for them? And what happens at the end of Daniel in chapters 10, 11, and 12 is Daniel gets a vision from God. And it's very book of Daniel. It's very weird. It's very wacky. It's very odd. And uh, where we pick it up in chapter 12, there's a man in the vision talking to him. And essentially what he's doing to aging, wrinkly Daniel is he's peeling back the curtain on what the future holds for the people of God, for those coming after Daniel, for the next generations, what's coming down the line. And I have to tell you, initially, it ain't that pretty. Look what the man says in verse one. Here's the future. There will be a time of anguish, think about this sentence, greater than any since nations first came into existence. Like that's, that's bad, right? Like worse than being dragged into exile, worse than being dragged into slavery in Egypt, like worse than that, and that's what's coming. Verse seven describes it as this, the shattering of the holy people. And this is speaking of, I believe, a, a sustained unrelenting, unparalleled period of suffering and attack that will come to the church, the people of God, at the end of time, before Jesus returns. That's what commentators think this is talking about. People call it the tribulation. But all you need to know in the language of today is hardship's going to hit them like right in the face for ages. That's what you need to know. And now, uh, one minute of Bible geekery. Can we do one minute of Bible geekery? Is geekery a word? We're going with it. One minute of Bible geekishness. Uh, people tend to try and work out in passages like this, in, in, in these visions in the Bible, oh, what, what exactly is it talking about? And how long will it be? And, and is this being brought about by Brexit or Trump? Or, or what exactly is it talking about? And try and nail down all the, all the detail. But the thing is, the detail ain't really there in the passage. And if God wanted us to have all the detail, he'd have given us all the detail. 
It's not that it's unimportant. You see in verse 6, one of the, the blokes in the vision says, okay, so how long will it be until all these things are over? Uh, and you get the very specific answer in verse 7. It will go on for a time, times, and half a time. And you think, cool. Well, that clears it all up then. We'll, we'll, we'll jot that down on the old calendar, set an alarm maybe. But here's the thing, whereas people can get frustrated with, oh, wait, well, what's it talking about? When's it talking about? Uh, I think it's very wise and deliberate that God doesn't tell us all the details about this. And here's why. When you're suffering, or particularly facing a, a, a serious hardship, I don't think what you need primarily is all the detail about how long it will last. Do you? I don't think that's what you need. All the specifics. It might be nice. It might help you pace yourself maybe, but that's not what you need. I think you need actually two other things. In the tunnel of of hardship, you don't need to know exactly how it's all going to pan out. You need to know two things. One, that it will end, that your hardship is not ultimate, that your hardship is not the, the final thing, it's the now thing, but it will end, and more than that, in the end, it will be more than worth it to have endured. You don't need all the detail. God doesn't give us all the detail. Have you noticed that? But he does tell us it will end, and it will be more than worth it in the end. Now, we know that hope kind of works like this, that hope isn't simply something for the future, but that If we have hope, it somehow can work backwards into our present and give us endurance now. If we know that it will end and it will be worth it, it somehow looms so large that it it almost casts its beautiful shadow over us now and affects us now and helps us to endure now. There's just a couple of silly examples of this. Um, The other day, just a month ago, had a a, a new baby in our household and uh, Ruth, my wife, was needing some sleep uh, one afternoon. And so Grace and I, that's our two-year-old, decided that we would head out of the house, okay? So we went to give them some space. And so we uh, hopped on the bike, because it was very sunny, not dissimilar to today, and very dry and all lovely. And so I'm kind of dressed in a t-shirt and uh, jeans, and Grace is in just, you know, you know, leggings and whatever. And we jump on the bike, and we cycle to Roheath Pavilion. Anyone been there? Anyone been to Roheath Pavilion? Highly recommend it. We jump in the cafe, fruit shoots, gingerbread man, everything's going well. And uh, then we go to leave the cafe at about half four, and we come out, and as I'm strapping Grace into the bike seat, I promise you, you, it was like doomsday. It just went dark suddenly and started to torrent down with rain. And I'm there, like, not with a coat. She doesn't have a coat. She just stood the lip goes, Daddy, like this. And I sort of open her rucksack and see what, what is there in here. Let's have a look. There was just a lot of nappies. She doesn't even wear nappies anymore. But, like, there was just a lot of nappies. I thought, I can't tie these to her. We had, we had nothing. We had no way of sorting this out. And uh, what I did is I tried to convince her to get on the bike seat. She's going, Daddy. I didn't say, Grace, there are 17 and a half minutes of this journey. Because that wasn't going to motivate her to endure, right? Here's what I said to her. This is, this is God's honest truth. I said to her, Grace, this is going to be horrible. It's going to be cold, and it's going to hurt your face, and it's going to be wet, right? 
but we're going home. That's where we're going. And when we get there, it will be warm and it will be dry, okay? And mummy will be there, okay? Yeah, and she's sort of nodding. I say, and then we're going to have tea and we're going to have chicken nuggets. <laughs> and, and I promise you, she looked at me and she went, and beans. <laughs> and I went, and beans. And then she went, okay, and let me strap her into the sea. And then we, got, we, we went on this journey, and rain was hitting her in the face, and we're getting drenched. And I get in, and Ruth's like, what were you doing to her? But somehow, the, the future knowledge that this rainy journey wasn't going to be ultimate, but we were heading home, and it was going to be worth it, there were going to be beans, was enough to get her on the journey right? Now, a little bit more of a serious example. A month ago today, 3 a.m., Birmingham Women's Hospital, Ruth is experiencing something that, that at least I am led to believe her to touch. She's in labor, okay? And uh, that seems to smart a little, and um, she's there. Now, she does not know how long this is going to be. That's the whole thing with that, right? And uh, it seems to hurt enough that she's saying things like, um, I don't think I can do this. And I don't want to do this. And I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and then loudest of all, where the heck's my epidural, right? These are the things that were coming out of her mouth. But what kept her going? It wasn't exactly how long it's going. It wasn't all the detail. Praise God, we didn't know lots of the detail. But it was that this is going to end, this is an ultimate, and at the end it will be more than worth it to have endured, right? And Jesus picks up this sort of idea when he talks about life being like a farmer who sows now and works now and digs now, not because they love it, but because there's a harvest coming. And an athlete who digs in now and gets up at 5am and goes to the gym, not because that in and of itself is really fun, but because there's a prize coming. And what's the other one? Like a soldier, he says. That there's a trench of life now, but there's a victory in the end, and it's worth it. And that's now what the guy in the vision does for Daniel. He, he peels back the curtain, not just on hardship, but on hope, and says, look at this. Look at what's coming for the people of God in the end. First, you get the hope of rescue. Look at verse 1. Just after announcing this worst time ever, he says, But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. The Christian hope of rescue of ultimate rescue. Now, Jesus has rescued me now. He's rescuing me now. But one day, he'll fully rescue me from all chains, all things that hold me, all things that hold you. I don't know what prisons you feel you're in, in your mind, in your life. I don't know what you can't get out of, what addictions you have, what situations you find yourself in over and over again. There's rescue, says the dude in the vision, for the people of God. Rescue, you'll be rescued. And you hear this through history of, of people who have had their hands actually in chains. Think of the African-American slaves in America and their songs that they bring out, these spirituals that are born on the plantations, all speak of the day when even if my whole life is spent in chains, I will be rescued. There's a hope of rescue that can make you endure even that. There's a hope of rescue. There's the hope 
in verse 2 of resurrection. It says this, Many or a great multitude of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. It's this idea that that hardship can come for you and hit you, and it actually, for each of us, unless Jesus comes back, will one day take our life. A car accident, cancer, motor neuron disease, old age, sudden infant death syndrome. Hardship comes for us, and death looms large over us, and we'll all breathe our last breath at some point. And, and Daniel's vision teaches us that for the people of God, there's resurrection. There's resurrection, not floating off in some heaven. Physical resurrection, we will breathe again after we've breathed our last. It won't be our last. Because as Jesus came into the world and plunged down into death and rose, if your hope is in him, then you will plunge down into death and then rise with Jesus. It's your hope. You get the hope of rescue, the hope of resurrection, the hope of reward in verse 3. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. There's reward for the people of God, not in the sense that we earn our salvation. It's all because Jesus took pity on me, a sinner, and rescued me, but there's reward in the end. There's a reimbursing of anything you pour out for the kingdom of God. If you give your life to teaching others that they should put their hope in God, God, every ounce of sweat and tears and blood that you pour in for the kingdom of God will be more than given back to you. And whereas the secular story teaches us that the end of our lives is darkness and oblivion and it's just going to explode and that's it and you'll be forgotten because you're an accident anyway. The kingdom of God teaches you, Daniel 12 teaches you that your end is not darkness but shining. Shining like the stars forever. Rescue, resurrection, reward and then rest you get as well. As for you, this is the last sentence of the book of Daniel. As for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then as we've seen, at the end of the days, you'll rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. There's rest. Are you exhausted? Living in a a kind of a, a capitalist culture like ours that says you've got to be more, do more, have more. Are you exhausted from mental illness coming for you again and again and again of having to fight and dig in again and again just to get through a day? There is rest one day, not, not ultimately yet, but one day full rest for you, full rest for you. That's the Christian hope. That is the Christian hope. It will end and it will be more than worth it to have endured just want to apply this in a moment to us as, as Christians, but I just want to make us get something really clear here for a second, that this glorious end to the story is only the end to the Christian story. I need you to see that. It isn't the end of the secular story. You hear, and like me for most of my life, perhaps you're an atheist, you, you don't believe in God. 
you need to know that the secular story doesn't end like this. I'm not even talking about the, the, the Christian themes of judgment for those who, who haven't run to Jesus for rescue. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the secular story. Do you know how that ends? It ends in, in oblivion and darkness. And that means that all of these things we like to throw out in our culture, like you only live once and it all sounds great and, and all we have is now and, 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 and these songs that teach us you've only got tonight, just do what you want, do what you feel is good. It all sounds great. But do you know what? This is a terribly cruel thing to teach people because this teaches you that your life now is as good as it will ever get for you. And therefore, if your life is hit by hardship, like depression or grief or betrayal, this is as good as it gets. You've got to live your best life now, mate. And so you've got two options. You either consume everything you can and sleep with everyone you can and drink everything you can to escape the reality or you despair, ultimately. This isn't the end of the secular story. I find it so ironic that our culture that loves to, to comfort us and, and rid us of suffering has, in purging us of hope, robbed us of the very thing that enables us to endure suffering. But the end of the Christian story can be the end of your story if you want it to be. It's as simple as that. If you accept the invitation that you want to tie your future up with Jesus's future, that when you plunge, you know, your, your life isn't the best it will ever be. Your life is the worst it will ever be if you're a Christian. Because Jesus rose to everlasting life and so will we. And that can be your story. Your future can be like this, as Dostoevsky said in the Brothers Karamazov, he said, in the world's finale, do you like this? Do you want in on this? At the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments. Or as C.S. Lewis put it at the end of the Narnia story, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for this, the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Or when Frodo says to Sam in Lord of the Rings that he can't go on and he's shattered and, and the darkness around him is too much and he wants to give up. Maybe you know that feeling. And uh, Sam Wise Gamgee says this to him. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. That's the Christian's experience. Only on the title page 
is hardship hitting you? A new day will dawn. This darkness will clear. Now, as I kind of finish, um, I want to recognize that some of you might say, okay, Rich, great, but you, <laughs> you don't actually have a clue what I'm actually going through, though. And it's all preaches well and Lord of the Rings, great, but you don't actually realize what I'm actually experiencing. And uh, that's why I asked a few people around the sites of Church Central to, to prove to you in a few paragraphs that hope really can work backwards and make you endure even in the midst of real hardship. And so I'm going to spend a few minutes reading to you, if that's okay, the words of a few people in Church Central. And uh, I want this to do your heart a lot of good if you doubt that hope can get you through. Well, it got these guys through. It's getting these guys through. So I want to read to you first from the north side, Elspeth Dutch, who who speaks here about the nitty-gritty of life and how it gets her down and drags her down sometimes. And she said this, Hope in Jesus helps me see there is a bigger picture when the detail, challenges, and busyness of daily life try to take me over. Hope reminds me that it's not up to me to fix everything. Hope helps me stop and take a deep breath. (sighs) Hope reminds me to trust Jesus and let him be in control, even when I want to be and when I don't understand. Hope's getting Elspeth through some of the nitty-gritty. Hope's getting Luke Sewell through some of the things he sees around the world. He's a man, I don't know if you know Luke in the north side, whose heart beats for justice. He has a heart for justice. And uh, he says this, for many people throughout history, adversity, persecution, and hardship has arrived and never really left. Martin Luther King is credited with the quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He was famously murdered and the racial injustice he spoke against is still a problem. The good guys don't always win. Everything might not work out, at least in this life, but we can be sure that God does not forget that he will let no oppression go unavenged, nor any affliction forgotten, and that's what gives me hope. Do you see injustice in the world? Have you experienced injustice? Hope can get you through that. Or... uh, Two excellent people at the South site. If you know Arlene and her mum-in-law Pat, uh, the McNutts, I don't know if you know these guys. Arlene said this, Romans 5, 2 to 5, that speaks of suffering leading to character and hope, helped me when my mum was living with and then died from motor neuron disease. Her faith and character grew as she lost her mobility, swallow and speech. When she died, God sustained us. And this is why Amy, that's uh, Arlene's daughter, why Amy's middle name is Hope. I was 39 weeks pregnant when mum died, but God has sustained us. You see, in illness and darkness, the legacy of things like that doesn't have to be despair. It can be hope, even in that. And Pat McNutt, I think the oldest person in Church Central, I think, wrote me this beautiful handwritten note because she doesn't have Facebook to message me back. And it was page after page of the testimony of how Hope's got her through stuff. And you need to 
we all need to listen to people like Pat and learn from her, right? She spoke about how her dear husband, Don, uh, came to faith with her at a Billy Graham crusade. And uh, they went to Uganda and served Jesus. And then in 2015, he became unwell and passed away in hospital. And she wrote sentence after sentence. But I'll just say this from her. I knew with certainty that he had passed on to be with his Lord and Savior. And since then, God has kept me each day in the hope that Don is with him. Hope can get you through. Hardship's going to hit you. Hope can hold you. And then, of course, from the greatest sight of all, two people in this site here. First, just listen to Joe. For me, hope means putting my trust in God, even when it feels as though I'm drowning or I can't see a way forward. And all I want to do is scream and panic. Hope means I can tell God how I'm feeling and give it over to him and know that he is for me and will answer my prayers in a way he knows best. The obvious verse, she says, that springs to mind is Hebrews 6 verse 19, which says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You know, life ain't easy. We can feel like we're drowning. There's an anchor. Or Heather Martin, and I'll finish with this. For me, Rich, hope means this. You only have to look in the Bible to know that following Jesus is hard and there's a cost, but you can also look in the Bible and see the promises of God that he's with us always. He never changes and he's faithful. We've been through some tough things, financial pressures, losing a baby, having two boys with physical disabilities, to name a few. But I have known God with me through the hardest times and I have hope in these promises that I will see Jesus face to face. It's not a fingers crossed, I hope it happens kind of hope. It's an I know God is good and faithful kind of hope. He keeps his promises and when my time is up, I'll be with him forever. Hardship's going to hit you. Hope can hold you. Can I invite you to stand to your feet and we'll just pray.